Amen. Lord, as we just even reflect upon your incredible grace and mercy and love towards us, we can't help but just cry out how great you are. Lord, we know that that all that we have is not based on anything we deserve, and we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for your never-ending love towards us. We thank you for the, the power of your word. And Lord, as we spend some time in, in it tonight, studying against more the life of Abraham, Lord, we pray that, that you would continue to uh, speak application into our lives personally through, through the, the, the pages of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'd all, uh, why don't you all stand up real quick and say hi to those around you, and we'll get into our study tonight. All right. Well, if you would take out your Bibles and uh, open them up with me to Genesis chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, uh, there should be one in a seat nearby you and a rack underneath it. Go ahead and grab that. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home with you. We'd like to have you to have a copy of God's Word that you can be reading on your own and studying through. But Genesis chapter 20, as we continue our look at the life of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and the things that they have gone through and waiting on the promise to be fulfilled that was given to Abraham that he would have a son, and through that son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And We've followed through the ups and downs and trials and things that they've gone through in this, in this time. Last time we talked about uh, his, uh, his nephew Lot and the, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we left off Abraham, if you'll remember, he had prayed, he had interceded, intervened in prayer for Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, got up the next day, and I, I believe he got up in the hopes that things, would have, that things would have turned out okay, that God would have found more than enough righteous people in Sodom to save it, but instead he saw the smoke rising in the distance and realized what had happened there. And that's where we had left off with Abraham, and we pick that up now uh, as we look at look in our study tonight, we'll start in chapter 20. One of the things as Christians that it's always important that we realize that no matter where we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we always need to be on our game, if you would. We always need to be shining that light, reflecting that, that uh, light that is, that is Christ reflecting in us. And we need to be shining that light in this very dark world. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you go through your daily life and the way that you, when you come in contact people, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Because we live in wicked times, because we're surrounded by evil all around us, that is a reason that we need to walk as wise people, as those that are reflecting and and. and those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Colossians 4, 5 says, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. 
every opportunity, every chance that you get with your neighbors, with those that you come in contact with at the grocery store, those you come in contact at work, especially those that you might not come in contact with regularly. A lot of times that's where we can let our guard down a little bit and feel like, well, this person will never see me again or this person won't find out anything about me so I can act a little different. We need to be always reflecting that. And we see what can happen if we don't. We look chapter 20 here, Abraham, verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. No, he didn't. Really? Again? That's what it says. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. The king Here's this, Abraham again. Remember when we talked about this back a few chapters ago? When Abraham did this very same thing with, when they went to Egypt and he told, he says, tell him, tell him you're my sister. Then, and, and then Pharaoh takes her as his wife. He didn't learn. He, he does the same thing here. And where I want to stop there really quickly and touch on, we see here again, this man, Abraham, this godly man, the man of faith, the father of faith, the, where it says it tells us that he believed God and it's credited to him as righteousness. I mean, Abraham, this pillar of faith, falls into sin. And I say that not so that we can look at it as believers and say, okay, well, if, if Abraham can sin, I can go ahead and sin. That's not what I'm saying. We need to understand that it's, that it's not okay to sin. However, we can see in the life of Abraham after all that he's been through, after all of the things that God has brought him through, that he is still susceptible to old, his old nature, his sin nature. And we are too. The Bible tells us that we should all take heed lest we fall. And a lot of times we can become lax. We can be, start taking it easy and not putting the focus towards the Christian walk as we should. And then we are very susceptible to falling into sin as Abraham did here. On the flip side of that, also as believers, though, we need to understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When we sin, when we fall short, again, it's a matter of recognizing that sin, repenting of that sin, turning to Jesus and having that, that perfect relationship restored. We never fall out of grace once we are saved. And it's just a matter, again, 1 John 1, 9, if, if you have sinned, confess your sin. And he who is faithful and just will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Unfortunately, we seem to, as Christians, fall into one of the two extremes. We get very lax, we get very comfortable, we can almost get cocky about it and think, hey, I'm good, I'm covered, no problem. Or we can fall into that, man, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be acting this way. And we can condemn ourselves or listening to the enemy who's condemning us in that regard. Neither one. We can't get lazy. We have to, it's a work. It's something that we need to continually focus on, this walk that we go through. But also, when we do stumble, and we will, know that we, there is no condemnation for us. And it's a matter, of again, of going and repenting and receiving that forgiveness. I love this because uh, this, this Bible that I have, is, it, it has a spot at the beginning of every chapter and it says theme and it leaves it blank and as you read through, and a lot of times I struggle with how do you get a theme out of a chapter sometimes, you know, the whole, the whole thing? Uh, and this one to me just jumps right out at me. We see Abraham's failure and God's faithfulness. 
It, is just, it, it just jumps right off the page. Abraham's failure, but God's faithfulness. Look how it goes. It continues. It says, verse 3, but God. I love those two words. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, you will not slay a nation even though, even though blameless. Did he not say himself to me, she is my sister? And she, herse- she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And also, I have kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Charles Spurgeon, one of, again, one of my favorite quotes. I've shared the one with Adrian Rogers with you. I'm sure that, you know, God, or Adrian Rogers said that uh, when you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. It means that you won't sin and enjoy it anymore. I love that quote. But one other one by Spurgeon that I really enjoy, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. <laughs> Unfortunately, while we're still in this flesh, we are still sinning. We still do go forth. But God protects us. God does not allow that to continue in our lives. He chastens us. He disciplines us. And he, his, his, his hand of providence protects us. And we see that in here. But one of the things I want to draw your attention to in verse 6, notice what God says. It says, then God said to him in the dream, I know that your integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Not sinning against Sarah, not sinning against Abraham, Abimelech, I've kept you from sinning against me. David in Psalm 51, when he'd been confronted with the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and then having Bathsheba's husband killed to cover up his sin with her. In Psalm 51, he said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now that doesn't, again, what David is saying here and what God is pointing to does not mean that the sin doesn't have repercussions and is against, but all sin is against God, primarily, first and foremost, and so far above anything else that the rest doesn't even count, basically. We have sinned against him. And I say that because there's very clear application for us in that. If we believe that when we sin against someone else, instead of sinning against God, we can a lot of times defend that. I can come up and say, well, they deserve that. They deserved for me to treat them like that. They did this to me first. This is just revenge or retaliation. I can justify my sin if I look at it in the fact that I am just sinning against someone else. But if I look at all of my sin as sin against God, it brings me to my knees. It brings me to repentance. Because there's no sin that I can justify that me sinning against God. Now also... If I look at it in the aspect of anyone else's sin is sin against God, not sin against me. If someone wrongs me, again, my first reaction, if I'm looking at it, the fact that they're sinning against me, my first reaction, again, is going to be revenge. How do I get back at that? How, you know, how dare they? But if I realize, again, that that sin isn't against me, it's against God, again, it drives me to my knees to pray for them. And This is such an important concept that we get because, again, we can always justify sin if we take it out of that context. David did. David somehow lived with that sin for for a long time, many months, until he was finally confronted with it and he realized, again, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. And he repented and he confessed. 
Another thing that we see in this, verse 6, says, I did not let you touch her. Abimelech, you can go ahead and pat yourself on the back about your integrity, but bottom line is, I didn't let you touch her. And in that, we see God's amazing providence. His unseen hand moving through this entire story with Abraham. If you were here this weekend, I talked about it a little bit, that God made this promise to Abraham that we talked about several weeks ago, that you will have a son. If he left it up to Abraham from there, Again, Sarah would have been married to Pharaoh. If they would have made it through that, she'd be married to Abimelech here. Abraham would have had a child through Hagar that would have been the only child they ever had because Sarah's married to somebody else now. But God didn't leave it up there. And we've seen his hand moving in and through this entire situation. And I love that because I know that God's unseen hand is continually involved in my life. His unseen providential hand is continually involved in your life. Many years ago, when after a series of very stupid decisions on my part, I could call them Abrahamic decisions, I guess, I ended up taking a transfer with my, the company that I worked for to go to El Paso, Texas. And I won't go into the reasons and the things that led up to that, but I, I, just, I said, I, I have a plan, and here's the plan. I'm going to go to El Paso with this company, and I let them know this is what was going to happen before I went. I'm going to fix the problem you're sending me down there to fix, and then I'm g- I want to get promoted out, th- out of there. I don't want any more lateral moves. I want to be promoted out of there. I have my whole life planned out in front of me, and this is the next couple of steps. The only thing that I could tell you was not going to happen when I went to El Paso was that I was going to date, that I was going to f- go out with anyone, that I was going to find a relationship or anything. I'm in El Paso for a short period of time, and I'm out of there. Huh. I met this beautiful waitress, and about a year later, she became my wife. <laughs> I quit that, left that company, moved to Phoenix, and through another series of a bunch of events that, again, I planned, that God rescued me out of, here I am. God's providential hand, moving in and through all of the circumstances that we go through, all of the decisions that we make. One of the things that I'm going to be so excited to see when we get to heaven, because then is where I think we're going to be, we're going to, it's going to finally be un, unveiled before us, is we're going to get to watch the movie of our lives from God's perspective and see all of the things, that, that the decisions that we made. And if he'd have let us keep going on down that road, what could have happened? And he says, here's where I rescued from this. And man, if I'd have let you keep going here, and we're just going to praise him forever. God's providential hand. I did not let you touch her. Goes on, verse 7. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, I'll say, and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. In verse 8, as we see this, Abimelech wakes up the next day and goes out and gathers everybody and your sin is going to find you out, Abraham. This is, you, you can't keep this secret, especially, again, being God's called and anointed and chosen one. He's not going to let you get away with this. But we also see here that it doesn't stay a secret in a, you know, in amongst small company. Abimelech calls all of the people together and tells them what Abraham did. And in it again, as we talked about when he was in, in Egypt, again, his witness now is totally ruined. 
How is he going to be God's upstanding man now in this community? He's a liar. He certainly doesn't cherish his wife above his own self. You know, I mean, what kind of example is he setting? It's, it's, it's totally ruined. His reputation, his witness. And again, in this, and I won't touch on this long because we've touched on it a few times as we've gone along, but we always need to remember that as we go on. The sin that we commit in our lives doesn't just affect us. Parents, it has repercussions on your children. Believe it or not, Isaac, Abraham's son, is going to do this very thing when we get a few more chapters it, it, it continues. It affects your children. It affects your, the rest of your family. It, it affects your church family. It affects your church. The sin that we have in our lives, and we always need to remember that. Not again that it's pulling down guilt, but understanding that our sins will find us out, and it can have dangerous repercussions, and it can ruin testimonies and reputations. Well, as he goes on now, verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how... And how have I sinned against you that you have brought me in on the kingdom, on my kingdom, a great sin? Your sin, Abraham, has brought a great sin to us. What would you do that for? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this? Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Fear. Bad things happen when we start fearing and wondering and worrying about the repercussions of things that are going on, the things that are around us. Start worrying about that. Start having that fear building up. And then here, you know, pretty much any time a sentence starts with, because I thought, usually there's a problem that follows that. You start thinking too much. You start processing through in your own understanding. Yeah, I know God said this. I know God promised this. But you know what? It doesn't seem to jive and start thinking. You know, what was that old commercial? The mind is a terrible thing? Is that? Okay. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. I, we just, the mind, okay. We start thinking. We're thinking too much. Fear. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Fear brings a snare, but trusting in God will be exalted. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Psalm 56.11, In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And again, that's the bottom line. If we're following God, we're living for him, we're following his guidance in our, in direction in our life, we shouldn't fear what man can do to us, and that's exactly what Abraham did, though. He looked at the thing and he said, tell them you're my sister because if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me. He's worried about what man can do to him instead of trusting in God and following his ways and his purposes. He goes on, verse 12, besides, she actually is my sister. Hang on, stop right there. We've talked about this before. He does, the daughter of my father. They have the, they have the same father. He's telling a half-truth. She is biologically his half-sister. But his whole intent was to deceive. Telling a half-truth is telling a whole lie. You should have learned from the last time, right? I mean, this isn't the first time we've done this. We haven't, played, we haven't gone around this merry-go-round just one time. But besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. 
And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So when did they plan this thing? Back at the very beginning. When God called them out of Ur, they, he, he, foiled, he thinks of this plan. Honey, you're beautiful. And we're going to come across some places. God's taken us out here. But understand, we're going to come to some places that they're going to think that you're beautiful. And because of that, they're probably going to kill me. So here's the plan. Tell them you're my sister. Don't tell them you're my wife. It's kind of true. You are my sister. But don't tell them you're my wife. You know, they, they hatched this whole plan 25 years ago. And they're still going through it. And it hasn't worked any other time they've used it. But they keep using it. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results? That's what they're doing here. That whole thing, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's broke. Fix it. <laughs> Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother... I can imagine how he said that, kind of raising his eyebrow, your brother. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. An amazing thing, God still uses Abraham. In spite of all of this. And again, in that I see, as we stumble and go through our walk with the Lord and we, we mess up and we have our mistakes and we have our, our things that we just really fall down, God picks us up and uses us still, if we allow him to do that. So God, God's amazing. Well, chapter 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Go figure. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Remember, we're going back. He said, a year from now, when I come back, you will have had the, a son at the appointed time. 25 years after the first promise was made to him about this. And again, patience. God's timing, God's plan. Continue to follow through with it. Abraham called the name of the son with who, with, who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Remember what God told him Isaac means, remember? Laughter, laughter. What a fitting name. You remember Abraham, when he heard it, that he was gonna have a son, he laughed for joy and excitement and, and not, not doubting God, but almost this whole thing of, man, how is that gonna happen? Sarah heard and laughed in doubting. Yeah, like I could have a son now. And I can imagine, again, we talked about this before, the kind of the, the, the scorn and the, the way that she was looked upon and many people kind of looking down on the fact, again, that if you don't have children in that time frame, that was looked at very poorly as a woman. You were considered not, you know, obviously you didn't do something right and you're, 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 you're kind of outcast. Remember, anybody remember what Abraham means? Father of nations. So can you imagine when they were talking to Abraham, everybody knew what that meant, kind of the check, chuckling maybe, laughing. Well, here we have Abraham and Sarah have the last laugh, Isaac, laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 100 years old. Sarah was 90. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. No longer laughing at me, laughing with me now. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. In his old age. I like that. I'm not old. He's old. All right. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So that's usually typically when they're about two or three years old. They, they're no longer then nursing and moving on to regular food at that point. And we see verse 9. It says, Now Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had born to Abraham, mocking. Now, remember Ishmael? the son that was born to Abraham through Hagar. He's probably now about 16, maybe 17 years old. And here, when he's 13, here's this Isaac that's born, this, this other son. And for 13 years, he's been, you know, Father Abraham's only boy. He's been the spoiled one. He's been the one hanging out with dad and going out with, and tending the flocks and t- being taught all of these different things. And now here's this other son. And no doubtedly, he's heard around that this is the son that was promised. You're not that son. This is the, this is the good one. You're the, and so you can imagine. I don't, when I read that here's uh, Ishmael mocking Isaac, I, I don't blame Ishmael for that. I can only imagine. 16 years old and having your whole world kind of torn out from underneath you. But certainly jealousy going here. Verse 10, it says, Therefore she, Sarah, said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Wow. Notice how she even talks about them. Here's Hagar, who's been her maid for all of these years. And this handservant, this maid, doesn't even call her by name. And then the son of the handservant, not even calling him by name. Just the, you can just hear the bitterness in her voice with this. This is, in verse 10, the last mention of Sarah before she died. And the reason I want to bring that up is now as we're looking back, and again, here this is what's recorded, and again, it, it almost, you can just feel the, the bitterness in her voice when she says this. When you think of Sarah as we've gone through this study, what are some of the things that you think of when you think of Sarah, the parts of the story? And this can be interactive. Patience. God bless you. That's, that's great, because I don't. I think, <laughs> I, I think of the, you know, the, that she was the one who, who talked Abraham into, 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 into having the, the relations with Hagar. And then as soon as she does, then getting mad at Abraham for doing it. That, that she goes along with this. You know, she's, she's, she's been a little contentious. That's what her name is before. She's, she doubted. You know, those are the things that pop into my mind. But how does God view Sarah? Turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. God looks at her like you do. <laughs> Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received the, avail- the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
God considers her faithful. God considers her worthy of being mentioned in the hall of faith. You know, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the, the words used to describe Sarah are holy, obedient, fearless. That's how God sees Sarah. And I just make a point of that because as we look at each other, it's really easy to look at the fault. It's really easy to look at the, the ways that we stumble and the, the things that we struggle with and those things. Those are the, the things that, you know, especially if they irritate us personally, instead of looking at people the way God looks at them. And as Christians, God looks at us, again, who's clothed in righteousness. He looks at us as Christians as he looks at his son. And as I, again, as I'm going through this, I, I, I see she goes, will not be an heir with my son, Isaac. You know, and I can say, you know, oh man, I have so many things that I could say, oh, that's just wrong. That's just really bad. That's wrong behavior. And I was going to make a whole bunch of points about that until I saw how God sees Sarah. And who am I to judge Sarah? There are certainly things that we can find in, in the lives of these other people, we, but we should never be judgmental of anyone because we need to see them as God sees them. That's how God sees us. Now, verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son, referring to Ishmael here. And again, look at this from, from Abraham's perspective. Yes, he loves Isaac. Of course he loves Isaac. This is the son of promise that, that God had been promising for 25 years. Of course he loves Isaac, but he loves Ishmael too. This is, this is his, the first son that he had. And again, for the, last, for the first 13 years, he's, the, he's, this is the boy that he's been raising. It distressed him greatly. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad or, or your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a, a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her, boy, gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. God agrees with what Sarah had said. Not her heart, because again, her heart's pretty bitter. He's not agreeing with her heart in the matter, but he is agreeing with the fact that Ishmael and Hagar need to leave. Ishmael and Hagar need to be separated from this. And we see, and turn over with me real quickly to Galatians chapter 4. Paul gives us... He, call, he calls it in, in this that it's an allegory that he's, he's using this as, a, as a compar uh, uh, an Old Testament story to make a point about our salvation in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4, looking at verse 22, he looks at comparing the two mothers, the two women, Sarah and Hagar. He says, verse 22, chapter 4 of Galatians, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. What he's meaning by one proceeding from Mount Sinai, again, from the law. That's where the law was given to Moses. 
And he talks about that that is a representation of the flesh, trying to earn our salvation, trying to do good works in order to please God, trying to get God's grace through our own manufacturing. Again, remember, God promised a son to Abraham. And through their own craftiness, through their own scheming, through their own planning and working in the flesh was how they came up with having a son through Hagar. And that's what Paul is pointing out to here, the disastrous results of what happens when you try to do things on your own. It only brings strife. It only brings contention. It only brings pain. But he talks about Sarah being the woman of promise, Isaac being the child of promise. Again, God had a reason for waiting until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Why? So that there was no other explanation other than God did it. It was not man at all. They, they, they were far past the age of childbearing. So God's miraculous hand had to do it. And Therefore, being the child of promise. And again, the picture of us in our salvation and in our walk with the Lord. It's not a matter of what we do in our flesh. It's a matter of what God has done for us on our behalf. And us receiving the promises of our salvation through him. Verse 17 of chapter 5 in Galatians, if you're still there, says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There had to be this separation. The two cannot grow together. The flesh and the spirit will continually war against each other. And we see that in our lives as we continually go through that. If you try to make, make room for both and live comfortably there, you can't do it. And so God says to Abraham back in our chapter, you go ahead and allow this to happen. You send them away. I will take care of them, he says, though. I'll take care of that. And he says that same thing to us. He tells us, I need you to make some decisions in your life. You need to separate some things from you. You need to make some decisions of get, cutting away the old flesh nature that you have. Things that used to be okay, that you felt that were okay for you to do in your life. You need to get rid of those. It might involve some relationships that you no longer can be a part of. Friends, sometimes family, that need to be removed. And God says, trust me in this. Trust me. I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to cause you some, some, some problems right away, but trust me in it. And, you, and, and when you remove that, you, you, then can, we can grow as we are supposed to in, in our walk. Completely severing that. And that's what God told Abraham to do. Send them away. I will take care of them. And he does. Abraham sends them away with only water and a little bit of bread. And in that, I see Abraham completely trusting God finally in his word, saying, I will take care of them. And so he sends them away. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. 
Remember when we saw this very thing in Genesis chapter 16? When Sarah sent, well, it was Sarai back then, sent Hagar away and she, but while she was pregnant with, with Ishmael, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her, and remember we talked at that time that that is a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ coming to meet with her. And here again, he comes back, and I like the question because he says, what's the matter with you, Hagar? What's the problem? Do you not remember that I promised you that this son that you have in your womb would become a great nation? Remember that when we studied through that? God made a promise to her. He will be a great nation. And here she is. She's got him up under one bush, and she's over under the other crying and weeping, and she's expecting him to die any minute. And God comes and says, what's the matter with you? Don't fear. Don't, don't get all stressed out. God hears your prayers. God hears, God hears Ishmael praying right where he is. Don't fear. What are you fearing? What are you going through that you are struggling with? That you feel you're just worn out, tired, you just want to crawl up under a bush and die? God tells us. God's made us promises. All things are going to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a promise. God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Not plans for your welfare, not calamity. Plans to bless you, to give you a future and a hope. That's a promise. That's what God says. He has plans for us, and they're not for calamity. But so often we think, oh, my life is just a train wreck. God has plans for us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise that he made. The, the, in, in Romans, it tells us that we are more than conquerors. That's a promise. One of the other promises, it's the same promise that we see here that was given to, to Ishmael. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. There was a promise made that Ishmael was going to be a great nation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, speaking to Christians, so he's speaking to us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race. We as Christians are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. That's a promise. That's what the Bible says. We are a royal priesthood. You know, what we talked about this, what the priests do. What do the priests do? They represent God to the people, and they represent the people to God. That is our calling, all of us. We are to be that representation out in the world, that priesthood out in the world. We are a, a holy nation. There's a story of a, a man who got up one Sunday morning and he said to his wife, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm not going to church today. I'm, I, I'm just tired. I'm worn out. I just, I can't do it anymore. The people there are so mean. They, 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 they just, they, they, they're, I just, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm, I'm not going. And then Christina said, get up. You're the pastor. You have to go. 
No. <laughs> you ever feel that way? I'm tired. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. I, I can't go on with this anymore. I, I, I can't continue going this. Well, I see that because all of us can go through that. Why do we feel that way? Well, a lot of times it's fear. A lot of times it's, I'm, I, can't, I can't go face that because I'm afraid of what might happen. A lot of the times it is, we're worn out, we're tired, we're, we're wasted, we have no more energy. A lot of times it is that just we're the uncertainty. And I see in that, what I see here, God is saying, what's the matter with you? Don't be afraid. I've made these promises to you. I have called you to be a holy nation. I have called you to be a royal priesthood. Get up. <laughs> Just like he said, arise, lift up the lad, get up. And he's not saying get up and move out on your own. And he also, one of the things that I love, I have it circled here. He says, God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And he hears your voice where you are. Right where you are right now, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, no matter where you are, if you feel at the total dead end of the whole thing, he hears you right now. You cry out to him, he will give you what you need. He says, stand up, get up. That's what you got to do. And trust him for the next step. And look what he does. He says, arise, lift the lad up by the hand, Hold him by the hand. I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. A whole well of water. <laughs> Not just a puddle on the ground. A whole well. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness and he became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Remember, there, that's more than likely, as we talked about before, where she came from. She's from Egypt. She, she was one of the slaves that was, he got from the first go-around in Egypt. She goes back there, finds a wife for him. Now, it's interesting how this whole story comes full circle as we move away from this. We get, we'll, we'll hear some more about Ishmael in the coming chapters, but... We leave that for now, and it comes to verse 22. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. It's interesting how they noticed that. They could see it. They could see it in his life. God is with you. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't it? That's still how he's remembered. After at least a little time frame goes by, at least, at least three, four years goes by, Abimelech comes back to Abraham and says, hey, I can see God's with you, but don't do me like you did last time. Deal square with me. And it's unfortunate, again, the long-lasting repercussions of some sin, and I have to tell you, lying, being dishonest, that carries a long time of forgiveness and forgetting. That's why it's so important that our yes be yes and our no be no. It is so important that we deal truthfully with all people, especially with one another as Christians, but with all people. It's so important because as the world around us sees us and they say, oh, well, you're no different than the rest of the world, but also if we're not truthful, people won't trust us. And we have the truth 
to share with a, a lost and dying world. And if they can't trust us, they can't receive it from us. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 23, now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show me into the land with which you have sojourned. Abimelech's using himself as the measuring stick. Deal with me as I've dealt with you. And unfortunately, if you were to read that first chapter, if we go back and you reread chapter 20, not knowing who Abraham is or who Abimelech is, who would you say the godly man was? Abraham said, I swear it. Now, I like this part about it because, again, Abraham's not trying to defend it. He did a little bit back in chapter 20, but here he's, you know, I swear it. I will. I will deal honestly and square with you moving forward. But Abraham did have a complaint, it says in verse 25, to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You, you did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until this day. Now again, I see a lot of humility in the fact that Abraham didn't try to defend himself and the fact like right here, he didn't say, oh yeah, sure you didn't, you know, pulling him into the whole dishonesty thing. He just said, all right, I just wanted to make you aware of this. Showing some grace here. We see some generosity. Verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean which you have set by themselves? And he said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it will be, witness, be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba because the two of them had made an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. So they make a covenant. They're going to be nice neighbors to each other, and everything will be okay moving forward between them. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Abraham, after all of these things comes through, he worships God. He, he praises God. It, we've talked about several times how he's built altars and he's dug wells and he's done different things and he's named them things to remember God and his faithfulness as he's gone along. Here he plants a tree. And I think that's kind of cool, you know, the, just the, the unique personal ways that we worship God. Our entire life should be an act of worship. Here we see him planting a tree, whether it's, you know, no matter what it is that we're doing. My daughter has this incredible artistic ability. She didn't get any of that from me. I, I have none. But she is an amazing artist. And some of the things that I see, when, when I have conversations with her a lot, I ask her questions about what she's learning, you know, over in youth and everything like that. And she's at that age where it's difficult for, you know, a teenager to communicate with parents. And you know, parents of teenagers, amen? I mean, it's just that whole communication thing. It's difficult. But through her art, it's amazing how I find out her relationship with God and the different things that she's doing and, and everything. And she worships God through some of the art that she does. And, you know, I, I just say that because there is no right way or wrong way to worship God. A lot of people will be very judgmental about that, but our life needs to be an act of worship. And, and, and through those things, we have those unique, personal, intimate ways that we worship God. Well, it says last, the last verse here, and Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. There's going to be quite a gap between verse 34 here and where we're going to pick up next week looking in chapter 22. And 
I believe during that time, obviously Isaac's going to do a lot of growing, but Abraham's going to continue to do a lot of growing because he's going to face the largest test of his life when we get to chapter 22. So be reading ahead and getting ready for that next week. We have enough time for Dan to lead us in one more song as we close. So if you'd all stand up, we'll sing one more song together before we head out tonight. that is our prayer, that you have your way among us this evening, tomorrow, throughout the week, Lord, that you work in and through us to affect the world around us. Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your children. Use us as you see fit, Lord. Use us to further your kingdom's purposes. Bless everyone as they head home now, Lord. I pray for safe, safe travels home and a wonderful week now as we look to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. <laughs>